class that you would just, as it is a busy time of the year with spring and graduations and school projects finishing up and, and all these things, Lord, and, and we uh, are gearing up as we get ready for a missions trip for the youth and as we get ready for vacation Bible school. Lord, we just ask for your guidance and direction. I thank you for all those who are involved and and I thank you that, um, that we can uh, look forward to what you want to do in blessing these kids and blessing people um, that are going to be in the Sawatch area. And, Lord, you just help us in preparing them for that and what you have for us this summer. Lord, I do pray that tonight, that again, that you just bless our time in the study of your word and that you would just um, feed us um, as we just look at, again, uh, this this that took place um, 3,500 years ago, knowing that we can learn and make application tonight. So open our hearts to you and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses has already gone to Pharaoh and, of course, has made the request for the children of Israel to be able to go out into the wilderness and to worship the Lord. And it was Pharaoh, you recall, the first encounter that he had with Moses said, Who is this God that I should let the children of Israel go, you guys are too idle. And so he put a heavy burden on them by saying that you have to go out and gather straw to put into your bricks and keep the same quota. And so uh, it was a very heavy burden uh, already on top of the slave labor that uh, they have been um, under for a number of years. Um, just the uh, bondage and affliction that they were going through was and they were very much troubled when Moses first came and, and Pharaoh made this decree that, you know what, if you think you've got time to go out and worship, you're idle, and so I'm going to make the burden even heavier. And, of course, it was Moses, as we have seen, first of all, when the Lord called him to go to Pharaoh, he was very hesitant, wasn't he? And even as we've been reading here, um, and as we read even last week, that it was Moses that kept saying to the Lord, Who am I to go to the Lord? I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. In other words, what he was saying to him, it was that I can't go to you know, Pharaoh because I don't speak very well. And so the Lord has been ministering through Moses. And as we saw in chapter 6, um, that it was the Lord that came to Moses and said, Okay, you've seen what Pharaoh can do. Yes, Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Yes, his kingdom is the most powerful kingdom, most powerful and wealthiest empire on the face of the earth right now. But he is nothing compared to me. Pharaoh saw himself as a deity. The pharaohs back then saw themselves as God. And they worshiped many gods. And so God said that he is going to see that I am the Lord. And the Egyptians are as well. And my name is going to be declared throughout all the earth as I'm going to bring these judgments down on Egypt. And so we have begun to see these plagues coming down upon Pharaoh in Egypt. As we saw the first plague, that water became blood, the Nile River. And they were ones that worshipped the Nile River. The Nile River was everything to the Egyptians. And so uh, they were, it was struck with blood. And we saw that the second plague was the frogs. And then the third plague was the lice, those little gnats that would come along and bite them. And then we finished last time with the fourth plague with the flies and in the psalms it talks about that plague devoured the people so they were biting flies and so the people have been you know experiencing these plagues but 
Just as God told Moses that Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. He's not going to heed your voice. And we're going to see that Pharaoh's going to continue to do that and hardening his heart. And then the Lord's going to harden his heart, confirming what Pharaoh has already done in his heart. Because as we have discussed, that God is not going to harden Pharaoh's heart against his will. We have seen that Pharaoh has shown no signs of repentance, no um, humility here, humbling himself before the Lord, no kind of, uh, of wanting to, to really heed the Lord. But what we're going to see is this worldly sorrow that he's already began to, to come with uh, uh, Moses, as we saw with the frogs, that Moses, please, my magicians can't take these frogs away. Will you entreat, or that is, make supplication to the Lord for them to go away? And as we go through these plagues, one of the things that I want to emphasize to you once again is what we're seeing is the deception of Pharaoh and the deception of, of Egypt. And that's something for us to remember because you recall that when in the plague of the frogs that were everywhere, I mean, they were in the homes, they were in the people's kitchens and in their bowls and in their ovens, in their beds, and it was terrible, and they worshiped frogs. And so the very thing that they worship, they were beginning to see wasn't a blessing, that it was actually a curse. And Pharaoh saying, please take these frogs away. And it was Moses that said, you tell me the word, Pharaoh, when you want these frogs to go away, and they'll go. And it was that the answer of Pharaoh that said tomorrow. And you see, that's the wisdom and the deception of the world and Satan towards, you know, people in the world. You know, one of the deceptions of Satan is tomorrow when it comes to our salvation the scripture says today is the day of salvation doesn't it because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us but one of the tricks of satan is is not always you know what there isn't a god to believe but one of the tricks of satan is you know what you don't have to submit your life to him today do it tomorrow do it tomorrow do it tomorrow wait and so people, sometimes you'll talk to them, well, I'm not ready to do that. Or someday, you know, later I'll get religious or I'll look to God or whatever it may be. That's a deception that is in the world and of Satan tomorrow. And, of course, as we applied it last week as we went through that text, that we as Christians that are saved, the thing is when there are things in our lives that are sin, there's attitudes, there are things that aren't right, that we need to turn to the Lord today. And we need to repent of that, and we need to confess it, and we need to just um, go to the Lord and accept his forgiveness and his love that remains with us. But we need to turn away from it today and not say, well, tomorrow. You know, one, one more night with the frogs. One more night of looking at things on the computer that I shouldn't be. One more watching, you know, night of watching that cable channel TV that I shouldn't or that channel that causes me to carnal out or that video or, or one more night of being bitter and unforgiving towards somebody, whatever it might be. So the deception of the world that we have seen, and, and we need to be aware that we learn so much as we go through this, Egypt being a picture of the world, Pharaoh being a picture of Satan. And so uh, we've seen these plagues, and also in that deception we saw that Pharaoh that he was beginning to, to say, you know what, take this, this plague of flies away and, and go ahead and worship, you guys, the Lord, but stay in the land, stay in Egypt. Then he came back with the second compromise, Pharaoh, you recall when we ended last time, and he said, you can go ahead and go out into the wilderness, but don't go very far. 
And the deception of Satan is, is that, okay, all right, so today you accepted the Lord, but, you know, be in the world and stay in the world. Or, you know what, if you are a Christian, don't go too far from the world. And so those are the things that we've been talking about, and we're going to continue to see that Pharaoh's going to want to bring compromise, just as Satan will desire for us to compromise in our walk with the Lord as well. So let's pick up our text as we look at chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses and on the donkeys and on the camels and on the oxen and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And so once again, this request here to let God's people go, And if you refuse to, Pharaoh, then your domestic animals that are in the field, now underline that because what we're going to see here in the seventh plague is that God's going to say that man and beast must be put under shelter or the hail's going to kill them. And so some people think, well, you know, I thought all the domestic animals were killed in this fifth plague, which is a pestilence against the livestock. But here's the thing. Not all the animals would be out in the field. Some of the animals would be under shelter. And I want to remind you once again, and in these plagues, I don't know if Moses knew that there was going to be ten plagues. But he did know that God told him that you go to Pharaoh and say to him that if you don't let my son, my firstborn, go, that is Israel, and that's the relationship that God saw with the children of Israel, that they're my firstborn. And if, Pharaoh, you don't let my firstborn go, then your firstborn is going to be struck. Your son is going to be killed. So Pharaoh has already been warned. And that's where the plagues are coming up to, the final plague, where the firstborn of Egypt is going to be killed when we get to chapter 12 and we'll see the Passover that's going to be instituted, a very important chapter for us to consider that we won't be able to get to tonight. But here we see in this plague here that the animals that are in the field are going to be struck with this, with this, um, this pestilence. And so verse 4, the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. And then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And verse 6, So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died, but the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. And then Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of his livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. And so this is a divine judgment on the livestock because here is Moses. And sometimes when there are those liberal scholars or secular historians that read the account here and they try to come up with some kind of explanation. You know, the Nile turned to blood because there was a volcano a thousand miles away that perhaps blew up and ash went into the river. Um, they'll, They'll try to explain the miracles away and stuff. But here, as we look at it, the Lord said, listen, the livestock of the children of Israel that were in the northern part of the country up in Goshen, they're not going to be touched. But tomorrow this thing is going to happen, and it says that um, th- that uh, the Lord did this thing on the next day, verse 6. So the next day, livestock are dropping, just like that. And so they're gone, and so Pharaoh, he looks, he understands the children of Israel, not one of their livestock, were dead, and all his that were out in the field uh, ended up being hit 
by this pestilence, this plague, um, as this disease ran through the livestock of, of the Egyptians. And so his heart is hardened again, and, and his heart continues to be hardened as these plagues continue. And then in verse 8, we see here the sixth plague. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from the furnace, and let Moses scatter to the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them towards heaven, and they caused boils and break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And so all of a sudden, these boils, and the Hebrew word for this is burn. So here are these burning sores on your skin that break out, and they would be very, very painful. I don't know about you, but at this time, I would have said, Uncle, that's it, you know. Um, you know, boils and, and stuff. And it reminds us, and it's interesting, we've made a little bit of in, uh, reference to it, and you can do your own in-depth study on it more. But as you look at the plagues of Egypt, you can compare them to the judgments that come in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, as God will pour out his judgment on a Christ-rejected world, we know in Revelation chapter 16 that the first bold judgment is going to be what? These sores that are going to break out on man. They're going to be very painful, those who have taken the mark of the beast. And here in Egypt, these boils break out, very painful on the children of Israel. And it says, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Again, just confirming what Pharaoh has already done in hardening his heart. And then we see the seventh plague, and that is the hail. So we read in verse 13. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. And yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down such as not been in Egypt since its founding until now. And verse 19, Therefore send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. And so we see here this, this seventh plague is announced uh, as it's Moses that goes in early in the morning and announces to Pharaoh once again that you need to let the children of Israel go. And it's interesting in verses 15 and 16, take note, that God is saying the message to Pharaoh from Moses that, that as Moses said, that Pharaoh, you know what? God says that he could have wiped you out. He could have wiped you out and the nation out if he wanted to. But actually, as we look at these judgments here, God has given them a chance to repent. We see God's grace that's really extended out to the Egyptians and to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh continued to harden his heart towards the Lord. And so here is this word again. You know what? The Lord, Pharaoh, you think that you're the toughest guy and the biggest dude? You know, you're not compared to the true and the living God who created the heavens and the earth. And he could have wiped you out. All he had to do was simply speak. 
He says here with the pencil, pence, pestilence, I get it out. He could have wiped you out. And, and your nation would have perished if the Lord wanted to do that. One of the things that sometimes Christians, you know, that um, look at the scriptures, and, and here at Calvary Chapels we go through all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, that, that Christians that haven't really looked at the scriptures a lot or sometimes the mindset can be is that God is grumpy and mean and judgmental in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament he's kind of mellowed out, and you see more of his love. But God, or Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his nature is the same. And he's declared his name, and he will declare his name to Moses. And he will say, Moses, I'm the one that's long-suffering and patient. And, and I'm the one that's full uh, of mercy. And I'm the one that's full of grace. And he's really showing his grace here for the children, for that is the Egyptians, to turn to him. He says, you're seen. I've raised you up, Pharaoh that my power may be seen through here. You've exalted yourself above, you know, my people and what my word has been declared to you. But this power is to show and declare throughout all the earth that I am the Lord, not you, Pharaoh, and not your Egyptian gods. And we know that throughout history, because we're even talking about it tonight, that it has been known what has happened to Egypt with God bringing down the plagues and then freeing the children of Israel out of Egypt and parting the Red Sea, as we will see, and drowning the Egyptian army. It would be 40 years after this fact that uh, this chapter that we're reading here and the plagues coming down, that it would be Joshua would lead the children of Israel across the Jordan River and, and as the first city that they were to do battle against was Jericho and the spies went into Jericho and it was Rahab that hid the spies. She's mentioned in the Hall of Faith, isn't she, in Hebrews chapter 11. Because it was Rahab, as she hid those spies, she said to those spies, I know, I know that the Lord has given you this land because I have heard what he did to the Egyptians and what he did to the Egyptian army in drowning them in the Red Sea. And she would come to faith in, in, in the Lord, and she's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And she was one that that word had gotten to her. And so the people there, the inhabitants of the land, when the children of Israel went in, they knew about the story of Egypt and how the Lord had brought down the plagues upon Egypt and how he parted the Red Sea. Clear through that history when they came in and they drove out the inhabitants. And even during the time of the judges in 1 Samuel chapter 4, at the end of that time where the children of Israel had been in a time of rebellion, we know that they were doing battle with the Philistines. And you might recall in 1 Samuel chapter 4 that the children of Israel were defeated soundly by the Philistines. So the children of Israel were wondering, what do we do? And they said, I know, let's go to Shiloh. They said, we'll get the Ark of the Covenant, we'll bring it out, and we'll have victory. And so that's what they did. And there was a great shout in the camp of the children of Israel when they brought the Ark of the Covenant out. And when the Philistines, who were on the other side of the valley, heard that noise and that great shout, they said, oh, no, they brought God into the camp. God the, that parted the Red Sea and, and dealt with the Egyptians. So his name had been declared in all the earth, that he was the true God, that they may know that I am the Lord. And so we see throughout the scriptures as you go through the Old Testament, and for example, Ezekiel, that Ezekiel, one of the, the themes of Ezekiel, that they may know that I am the Lord, that they may know that I am the Lord. You see it over and over again, that they may know that I am the Lord. 
And we see that Ezekiel prophesies about what is going to happen in the last days and God working with his people and defending his people that the world will know that I am the Lord. And so here he's saying the same thing to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I raised you up. You've exalted yourself, but my power is going to be working to my name may be declared in all the earth. And so we see here that tomorrow at this time, hail is going to come. And um, this hail would be very damaging to the crops, of course. We live in a part of the country where we get hailstorms, and hail can be very severe. And those of you who have been around for a number of years here in Colorado and along the Front Range know that hail can be damaging to, to, to crops around here in this area. They can be damaging to property and homes and, and cars. And so this is a hail that's, you know, different as we're going to read about it. So in verse 20, He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field and then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. In verse 24, And there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. So this is divine hail, isn't it? I mean, this is hail that's mingled with fire. So any man and beast caught out in the field were done for as this hail would hit them. And again, as we look at the plagues in the book of Revelation, the last plague that we see that is described to us in Revelation chapter uh, um, 16, actually, it's the sixth bold judgment, or actually the seventh bold judgment, the last one, excuse me. It was a great hail that's going to fall on the earth. And, and the, the measure of the hail is given to us there in the book of Revelation. And they're not sure exactly what that unit means that is given to us in the book of Revelation, but some have estimated hailstones as much as, you know, 10 pounds to up to 50-pound hailstones. Can you imagine a 50-pound hailstone? what kind of damage that would cause, dropping from 40,000 feet or 30,000 feet. So this hail here is fire, uh, has fire mingled in with it. Also interesting that there's something else that is uh, in this uh, hailstorm, as we read in verse 27. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. And treat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thunderings. Literally in the Hebrew what it means here, voices or sounds of God. So what exactly what that was, we don't know. But it wasn't just, you know, thunder here can be very loud. Uh, I remember I lived um, when, after college uh, in Black Forest, just North Colorado Springs, lived up on, you know, like one of the highest points up there in Black Forest. And uh, those thunderstorms would come over, and sometimes the, the, the thunder was so deafening, you know, as it cracked right above you. And I think, again, any of us that have lived here um, any number of, of years, we've experienced that, that loud thundering. But this is different. This was the divine thundering that's taken place here, the mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer, is what Pharaoh is saying. I have sinned, but it wasn't true repentance, was it? Again, 
a verse to mark down, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. But worldly sorrow um, just leads to death is what it does. You see, there's a difference between true repentance and sorrow. There's a difference between godly sorrow, which produces that repentance. That is when you realize that, Lord, I have sinned, and I have done wrong, and I need to turn away from it, and I need to turn to you. That is godly sorrow. But then there's worldly sorrow, and all of us talk to people perhaps in our lives that have that worldly sorrow. Well, I'm sinning, and, and I've done wrong, but they're only sorry for the consequences and repercussions that they're experiencing because they have turned away from God or not desiring to follow after the Lord or because of their sin, whatever it might be. True repentance is going to be in turning to the Lord and, and turning away from that thing. It is worldly sorrow, which is just sorry for the consequences. And that's what Pharaoh is displaying here. Oh, I have sinned. My people are wicked. You know what? You're righteous. Just do away with this hail. Just make supplication. Just let it go away. And as soon as he does here, we're going to see that he's not fooling Moses here. Um, Moses is going to tell it like it is. Verse 29, indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms are... I'm in the wrong chapter here. Verse 20... <laughs> Let's try that again, all right? Verse 29, Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. Oh, my. The thunder will cease, and there will not be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Moses is saying, listen, Pharaoh, I, I know that your heart is hard, and you're not going to heed. You're not going to truly repent. You're not going to fool me. The Lord has already told me that, that your heart is going to be hardened. And so here Moses, notice something here. Have you noticed that Moses is becoming more bold? He's becoming more courageous. And it isn't his own boldness. It isn't in his own courage. He's being strong in the Lord. He's being courageous in the Lord. And his boldness is in the Lord because he's beginning to understand, man, the Lord, man, he really is a whole lot more powerful than Pharaoh. At first, Moses was so focused and so at all with Pharaoh on what he could do. And then the Lord said, Moses, now you're going to see what I can do, that my power is going to be shown. And so Moses is seeing that. And so Moses here, he's having confidence. Now we're going to see that Moses is going to have to continue to grow in the Lord, just as our faith has to continue. But as we grow and we see God working in our lives and he's showing himself strong on our behalf and we're understanding his promises and, and seeing his promises worked out, it does something to us, doesn't it? it? It grows us. And that's why James says that count it all joy when you fall into various trials, that knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce character and is going to produce endurance, is going to produce maturity is what he says. So as we go through the, the trials in the world and in our lives, that as we turn to the Lord and as we are established in his word and as we are standing with him, abiding in him and looking to him, it will help us to grow. Our character will grow in godly character. We'll see his, his goodness. We'll see his faithfulness. And then it matures us. And that's what's happening with Moses here. 
So God will allow us to go through some difficult times so he can show himself strong on our behalf, that we can grow and become confident. And it's just like, you know, faith sometimes is like a muscle, you know. You've got to exercise that muscle to get it to go stronger. And faith is, is that we put our faith and trust in the Lord at all times, not just the good times, but also the bad times and the difficult times where it's, you know what, Lord, I need to trust in you and I turn to you and I stand on your promises. And there's a growing that takes place there. And that's what's happening with Moses. Moses was moaning and groaning and how am I to go to him? And the Lord said, stop, Moses, trust in me, see me work. And sometimes he said that to us, hasn't he? I know that some of you have that testimony. You know, the Lord said, trust in me. And I, I was in that place that I need, really need to turn to the Lord because I couldn't do anything in and of myself because this situation or whatever it may be that I was facing was really bondage and, and it was too big for me. But the Lord is bigger and his promises are true. And so I turned to him. And so we see this confidence that's coming in Moses. And then we see in verse 30 again, but as for you and your servants, I know that you will not fear the Lord. In verse 31, now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spilt were not struck, for they are late crops. Now remember that, because we're going to see that locusts are going to come and eat these late crops here in just a little bit. So verse 33, Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had ceased, he sent yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh. Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my sign which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Interesting here, as we open up chapter 10 here, we see that, you know what, you are to go to Pharaoh. His heart is hard. I've hardened it in his servants. And this, what is going on, Moses, that you make sure you tell the children of Israel that they tell their sons and their sons' sons, that is, their sons and their grandchildren, tell them from generation to generation what I have done in my mighty works in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. Very important principle for us there. There's going to be a reason here as we progress here in chapter 10, I believe, why the Lord is telling Moses this at this time. But one of the things that's very important, dads and granddads and moms and grandmas, is that you share with your children and with your grandchildren what the Lord has done for you. And how he's shown himself strong on your behalf. Again, 40 years from now, it's going to be the children of Israel led by Joshua across the Jordan River. And Joshua there in the book of Joshua is going to be told that, you know what, you are to put up these stacks of rocks to be a memorial. That when your children ask, why are these 12, you know, stacks of rocks up here by the Jordan River? Why are they here? That you may tell them how the Lord brought you into the promised land. And I think Pastor Darrell taught on that a couple months ago to you guys the last time I was gone. The importance, and it is important, that, that you and I take the time to share with our children and whoever that we can how much the Lord means to us and what he has done for us. 
that we say to our children, you know what, God has been so good to me. And, and not only has he, you know, saved me and changed me, but look how he's blessed us. And keep reminding others and reminding your children how good the Lord has been. And I think that we need to take the time to do that. So they are reminded of that and to realize that the Lord wants to do the same thing in their lives and blessing them and doing a work in their lives as well. And so we go through the Old Testament and you see as the children of Israel would be caught up in the false gods and the idols that the Lord would come back and what would he say to them as he would tell them about, you know what, the foolishness and how vain it is to worship those false idols. They can't do anything for you. Don't you remember? Don't you remember how I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand? How I parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army? Don't you remember how I gave you this land flowing with milk and honey, how I blessed you? Don't you remember that? And see, he was trying to stir their memory up. Remember how faithful I have been, how I've worked. These idols, they're not going to help you. They can't do anything for you. And as I've mentioned before, you can look at the history in the Old Testament and not one time did any of those idols be able to help God's people, not once. And they never will. And that's what you and I are to remember. You go back and remember how the Lord has saved you and forgiven you and changed your heart. And you share that with your children. You share that with your grandchildren. And particularly the older that you get, I think it's very important that as we do get older, because we have more of a testimony of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God, and you've seen it over and over and over again. And you can say that the Lord with His mighty hand, that is my Lord, and with the outstretched arm, just as God told Moses here, with an outstretched arm, I'm going to redeem you and the children of Israel, Moses, out of Egypt. And it is the Lord with his arms outstretched that has redeemed us. You know, it does get tough in this life and in this world. When we go through trials and difficulties, some of you come in experiencing the heartaches of this world, what you're going through and the loss. The, the difficulties that you're facing, decisions that need to be made, or perhaps just the, the stuff of life that, that comes. And we go through all kinds of hard things and difficult days. And, and again, trials and, and tragedy and, and hard things. And we wonder why, Lord. And, and, and we, you know, as I go through life, I'm starting as I, you know, I study the Bible, continue to be a student of the Bible and teach it and stuff. But you know what? It's when I talk to people in that time that my answer is, is a lot simpler. And that is we have the Lord. You know, we live in a fallen world. When Adam and, and Eve sin, this world is fallen. This world is full of disease and sorrow and sickness and despair, isn't it? But the Lord didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us without any hope. And I can say Jesus. Jesus is our hope. And he's redeemed us because he outstretched his arm. Turn to him and look to him in his goodness and faithfulness. And let him minister to you and strengthen you and comfort you. And his promises that he gives to you are true. You're going to see that they're true as you trust in him and walk with him. And then as we live, we do have a testimony, don't we? Testimony. Testimony. To have a testimony, you've got to be tested. 
and then you'll have a testimony of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But it's always pointing to Jesus, how he's redeemed us. We have the hope of heaven. And you may be here tonight and, and you are grieving over loss or, or just the difficulties of what you're facing and seeing sickness, maybe in yourself or in a loved one or whatever. But praise God, we have Jesus who came and died for us and we have the hope of heaven. We have forgiveness of sin and relationship with the Father. He didn't leave us without any hope. Praise God. The people of the world that don't have Jesus and reject Jesus, there's no real hope for them. And that's why we need to give that testimony to others and to tell people the mighty work of God that He has done in freeing us from Egypt. And that work was done for you. You turn to Him and accept Him in your heart as Lord and Savior. So give that testimony and, and, and give that testimony of God's goodness to others. And so verse 3, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue, what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up uh, for you out of the field. And so we see here this, this warning that the locust is going to come, and they're going to devour everything here. Verse 6, They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the dead that day that they were on earth to this day. And he turned and he went out from Pharaoh. So we know throughout history there have been locust infestations, and locusts can come into an area, and the wheat and the, the other crops that were the late crops, they have grown now, and these locusts are going to come in and devour everything. Now, isn't it interesting that the Lord in Deuteronomy chapter 28, he, get, he when we get there, we'll, we will see, gives the blessing and the cursings to the children of Israel. If you follow after me, if you worship me, if you abide in me, if you turn to me and, 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 um, and are obedient to me, then I'm going to bring blessing upon you and the children of Israel. If not, here's some of the curses. Judgment is going to come. That's the covenant he made with the children of Israel. And he said one of the things that he would do is bring locusts. So you go to the book of Joel, and it's about 800, you know, uh, B.C. in that uh, time frame. And we know that a locust infestation would come to the house of Judah because they had continued in their idol worship. And so it devoured everything. And Joel talks about that. He talks about these uh, eating locusts and, and these uh, swarming locusts and crawling locusts and consuming locusts, wiped out the vineyards, wiped out the fig trees. Everything was bare. And so he's saying mourn. We need to lament and mourn for the land. And don't forget the locust infestation. But what he was saying to them is that spiritually that they had been eaten because they had turned to idols. And so in Joel chapter 2, he talks about in the last days how there's going to be this swarm, this army of locusts, but he's talking about a literal army of men 
that are going to surround Jerusalem and the trumpet's going to be blown and the people are going to tremble at the sight of this, this locust with fire before them devouring everything. It's describing an army, the battle Armageddon that's going to take place as we talked about in the book of Revelation as the nations of the world will surround Jerusalem. It looks like they're done and they will have a fast and they will mourn and then the Lord will stand up and fight on behalf of the nation and they will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and then there's the restoration of Israel. We talked about all that but one of the things that Joel said that the Lord will restore the the years that the locusts have eaten and he will do that in your life. And maybe you're here tonight and maybe you feel like the locusts have eaten away a lot of things in my life. The weeks and the months and the years. You turn to the Lord and he'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Only the Lord can do that. So locusts are coming, Pharaoh. Does Pharaoh learn his lesson? No. Verse 7, Pharaoh's servants and said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the man go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So these guys, the servants, are starting to crack. In verse 8, So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses says, We will go with our young and our old, and our sons and our daughters, and our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, there's evil is ahead of you. Not so, go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For what is... For that is what you desired, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So what Pharaoh is doing is coming up with another compromise. Who's going to go out into the wilderness? All of us are going to go, Moses said. The young, the old, sons and daughters, we're all going to go. And Pharaoh says, oh, no, there's evil out there. Only your men go. Leave your children here. Do you see why Moses is told, make sure that you tell your sons and your sons' sons? about the mighty works of God. And Moses is saying, we're all going to go. Moms and dads, don't leave your family behind. And don't leave your children behind. You raise them up in the ways of the Lord. Teach them and train them, as the scripture says, in the ways of the Lord, the admonition of the Lord. Don't leave them behind. You have a very important ministry to your children. Again, telling them about the things of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. And so verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hill has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all the day and all that night. And it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the territory of Egypt. And they were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth, so the land was dark, and they ate every herb of the land, and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or the plants in the fields throughout all, all the land of Egypt. In verse 16, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat or make supplication that the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And then the Lord turned a very strong 
west wind and took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the children of Israel go. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So here's a darkness, this ninth plague here, number nine, that there's this darkness that they can even be felt. Now, I don't know what that means. But I remember when we were small, we went to the cave of the winds down Carwell Springs, and they take into the cave and they turn the lights off. Have you ever done something like that? And it's just pure black, and you can kind of feel it. Maybe that, that's what I think it was like. They couldn't light uh, their homes or anything. For three days, a darkness that could be felt. The children of Israel had lights in their dwellings. The people of the world were in darkness that could be felt. Christians, people in the world that are in the darkness of the world, they can feel it. They feel the discouragement and despair and helplessness and hopelessness in their lives. And you have light that is dwelling in your heart that you can give to them. So Jesus says what? Don't hide your light, but let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You be a light to others. And so Pharaoh called, verse 24, to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord only. Let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offering, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed yourself and see my face no more. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Here, here is Pharaoh in this desperation. One last compromise. Go ahead, take your, your men, your wives, take your little ones. Just leave your animals behind. And that's what Satan will do to you and to me. You know what? Okay, so you want to be religious to your family, spiritual to your family. Just the other aspects of your life leave behind. Your occupation your possessions, your career, whatever it might be, just, just leave that behind in the world. And we need to answer, like Moses that said, not one hoof is going to be left behind. Not one hoof is going to be left behind. And Lord, you have all of me in every area of my life, not just my spouse and my family, but in what I do, my business, my job, my career, my possessions, my home, everything. We'll talk a little bit more about it on Sunday as Jesus is going to say, make sure that you store up your treasures in heaven and you prioritize the kingdom. But not one hoof is going to be left behind in the world. That, Lord, you're the priority, and I give all to you, all of my life. And so, Father, we do. Lord, may that truly be our hearts, giving you all of our hearts to you. We don't want to leave any part of us behind in the world. Or You're just Lord over 
certain aspects of our life, but the Lord, you're the Lord of all. That's the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we declare your mighty works to others being a light that are in the darkness. We declare the works of Jesus as we come to the communion table tonight. And Lord, we desire to communion with you and as we know that that it was Jesus that said, do this often in remembrance of me. We know how Jesus in that upper room would make that new covenant and that he would institute that for us, that we may come here tonight and be one with you, Lord, and holding the elements, remembering what Jesus Christ did for us and going through the sufferings of the cross and, and taken the bread and saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat and do this in remembrance of me. And how he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Lord, that tonight as we continue in worship, even before we come up to this table, if there are things in our hearts that we need to confess that we would do that that our hearts would be set on you. And Lord, none of us are worthy enough in and of ourselves to come to the communion table. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us worthy. But Lord, we also know that we want our hearts to be set on you. And Lord, we want to be ones that, Lord, that know that you made a great, great sacrifice and sending your son to die for us. So Lord, we thank you. We truly want to just come in communion and worship right now and hold the elements in our hands and, and take of them as our hearts are set on you. The communion table is going to be open. We're just going to worship and come up and serve yourself communion.